0: Praise the Lord everybody. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord everybody. The Lord. Amen. Amen. I just have to acknowledge the fact that y'all sounded like my old Pentecostal church earlier. I got real excited for a little bit. So I'm super super honored to be with you all this morning. Usually you guys see me up on the stage where I get the the privilege of being one of your worship leaders, but this morning I've been giving such a great opportunity to deliver today's message is that cool with you guys this morning okay this side is talking back to me this side, if you haven't figured it out yet i am a black preacher i need y'all to talk back to me in here amen Amen. okay this side got it Amen? amen amen but as always i must extend honor to whom honor is due So, of course, I have to give thanks to God to the shepherds of this house in the person of Pastor Pastor Corey and First Lady Rachel. I I say praise the Lord. I say thank you for this opportunity. Our church staff, our wise counsel, and most of all to uh, my foundation, the Honorable Bishop C. Wayne Brantley of Zion Pentecostal Church of Christ in Cleveland, Ohio, where I was raised. Amen. We've been in a series titled Help. Look at your neighbor and say, help. Help. At some point in our lives, we've wanted, needed, or gotten help to some capacity, right? Look at your neighbor and ask them, say, do you need help? Do you need help? In order to really grasp this topic, I think it's important that we start just by simply defining the word help, right? So when I looked up the word help, I got a couple definitions, but there was one definition that really stood out to me, Um, and it says, help, an exclamation used as an appeal for urgent assistance. Help, an exclamation used as an appeal for urgent assistance. Help looks different when Jesus arrives. It's often because he sees an urgent appeal for assistance. Has anyone ever watched the show Hoarders before? Raise your hand if you've seen the show Hoarders. Okay, there's a couple people in here who've seen the show Hoarders. I would not say it's my favorite show, but recently this show has begun to stick out to me. For those of you who do not, who do not know, the show Hoarders is, uh, it shows, it exposes the life of someone who struggles with compulsive hoarding. Compulsive hoarding is a mental disorder marked by an obsessive need to acquire and keep things even if the items are worthless, hazardous, or unsanitary. And over 3 million people struggle with this disorder. And in the show, they bring us, the viewers, into the lives of usually two families. And in each show, there's a person who is struggling with hoarding. There's their families. And then there's usually the counselor or the hoarding expert who comes in to help them get rid of the items that they've decided to hoard. Now, there are many success stories, just as many that end in tragedy. There was an episode of a mother who lost her children to their own mental health battles who, she could not get rid of the, their clothing items in her home years after they had passed. Or a wife, a woman and her husband rather, who were set on saving the cats in their neighborhood, their home filled with animal feces and, and pet dander and trash. Um, their house held over 60 cats some alive, some dead. Or many other episodes of people who just had too much of a good thing or what they thought was good. Usually, not often, but usually these individuals can identify that they have some sort of issue. Now someone comes to help them, but because they've held so tightly to the items that they've been hoarding, we see many of these tragedies end because they refuse to take the help sent to them. This morning, if I were to give the sermon its own subtext, I would give it God, you can have all of my possessions. This morning, we're going to be looking at a pretty familiar passage of scripture found in Mark 10, starting with verses 17 and going through, I would say, about verses 25. If you have your phones, your tablets, your Bibles, let's turn there. And let's keep with tradition from, from my home church. Let's stand to honor the reading of God's word. And when you have it, if you're scrolling, say amen. And if you don't, it is on the screens. And it reads, as Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There was still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a person to enter into the kingdom of God. Excuse me. Before you have a seat, let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to gather together. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for keeping us and loving us with an everlasting love. Lord, we pray that you would have your way today, that the word would would root on good ground and that we would hear your voice and know that it is you. And God, personally, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross, God, that you would in fact make me invisible, that the people will only see, hear, and know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. So before we get into the, the meat of the word today, I want to give us a little context, if that's cool with you. See, here we find Jesus in a position that he is often found in, being questioned by the Pharisees. They've asked him about divorce, and then Jesus enlightens them about God's plan for marriage. A bunch of kids run up to Jesus. The disciples rebuke the kids. Jesus rebukes the disciples. Then Jesus blesses the children. And here we see that it says that Jesus is on his way, leaving off to Jerusalem when this man comes running up to him. And he says, good teacher, and Jesus responds like, I don't think you really know what you're saying when you call me good. But the man follows this introduction with a very striking question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? His focus was centered on his deeds and not his relationship. Jesus, though, knew this and as always uses this opportunity to teach not just the man standing in front of him, but those around. So he says, all right, we'll follow the commandments. And he begins to list them. Now, being a Jew, this man knew the commandments and he responds with, OK, well, I've been keeping those since I was a child. Now, culturally, believe it or not, that was not impossible for this man to keep those commandments, but not necessarily in the way that Jesus was intending. And we see uh, on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus really exposes the law and the truth, and we see that this guy was really missing it. But in an act of love and compassion, Jesus tries to help this man out instead of truly exposing him. He tells him, well, you're missing just one piece. Give up everything and follow me. Disappointed though, the man turns away, away from Jesus, and leaves sad, for he had many possessions. Now many often look at this scripture and talk about the concept of giving away his possessions or giving his things to the poor and how that can be hard and uh, money and things of that nature. But this morning, I want us to truly look at the scripture from a different perspective. While I was studying, I began to ask myself and I began to ask God and I began to ask the text itself, Uh, I wonder what he had. I wonder how much work he put in to get it. I wonder the experiences that he shared to achieve all that he achieved. I wonder what was he giving up? What pained him so much to get rid of it that he left Jesus because Jesus told him to let it go? This man was dependent upon what he was capable of doing. So why did he want eternal life and not the one who could give it? Why was he so preoccupied with what he had that he could not see that Jesus was inviting him into a narrative that would expand farther than his little riches could ever take him? And the disciples who gave up their livelihoods and their careers and left their families who know what it's like to follow Jesus did not even give him any indication on what he could have experienced by letting go of those things. So I'm reading the text and I'm like, no one's going to tell this guy about what it's like to follow Jesus, what he can experience if he just gives up his riches and give up his things to follow Jesus. All he had to do was give up his stuff. I'm sure he has stuff he wasn't using, though, right? Stuff he bought because it looked nice, tried it because it felt good, took it because someone told him he should. Stuff culturally that he thought would be worth some money, but in actuality, it wasn't really doing him any good. But he held on to it because it somehow worked its way into his identity. So essentially, Jesus is asking him to give up who he was in order to follow him. Y'all missed y'all chance to shout. How many of us have stuff? Stuff that has worked its way into our identity. Stuff that pain us when people tell us it's time to move on and time for us to let it go. Now, I hate to break it to you, but as one of your worship leaders, I can feel and I see that Sunday after Sunday, y'all come in here with y'all possessions, y'all stuff, stuff you've been holding on to for years, stuff that sh- sat on the shelf. In fact, stuff that's probably worthless, hazardous, or unsanitary. And I'm certain some of those things you've been holding on to probably keep you up at night and have caused animosity towards others, towards the church, towards yourself. Things that have, things you've experienced, things you've seen, things you've thought, things that are not good for your well-being. See, I just noticed that some of y'all even tensed up. See, that thing that you're thinking about, the situation that on your mind, that object that's exalted itself before God, those are your possessions. The things you're hoarding the things that serve us absolutely no good now people who struggle with compulsive hoarding are oftentimes stuck in the situations they're in because they cannot accept their reality so hoarding becomes a way to protect themselves if I hold on to that item I don't truly have to accept that they're gone If I keep feeding these cats that come into my home, I don't have to accept the reality that my children have moved on and out of my house. Can I make it more plain? If I focus on my appearance, I don't have to accept the reality that I struggle with low self-esteem if I jump from relationship to relationship job to job and friend group to friend group I don't have to accept the reality that I've been rejected and I, I'm afraid it's going to happen again. If, if I continue to hold on to my church hurt then I don't have to accept the reality that God is actually calling me forward to lead. If I continue to hold on to the fear of being alone I don't have to accept the reality that the people I'm running with are no good for me. If I give up my control then what will I be able to rely on? If I don't trust anyone else what Who else can accomplish that which I'm trying to accomplish what if that plan does not work out I could go on listing and go on and listing these natural and emotional and spiritual possessions that keep and hold us captive so again third street I ask the question what are you holding on to what are your possessions what are you hoarding think about that let that marinate for a second I know there's a, there are things that are popping up in your mind. There's, there's things that the spirit is nudging in your, in your spirit. That that's, that's what it is. See, the rich young ruler was able to identify that he was missing something. But he did not know what that was. So he comes to Jesus for help. Jesus, help me get eternal life. Jesus helps him. Jesus actually tells him what he should do. But the way Jesus helps him is because Jesus sees that appeal for urgent assistance. He says, see, you got it all mixed up. Do this. And instead of taking the help that Jesus extends to him, he walks away sad and holds on to the very thing that Jesus tells him to let go of. See, KT, week one of this series, painted this beautiful picture of his son, Caleb, and how Caleb would dump his toys out in his room and that he would clear space for his father, KT, to come sit with him. But the problem is, KT, we like Caleb have messy rooms, but instead of clearing a spot for Jesus and to give him time in the place he deserves in our hearts and in our rooms, we don't clear space for him. In fact, we become angry when he begins to move things that take us away from being closer to him. See, things the things we've been holding on to, we hold on to the things we've talked about earlier. We're stuck drowning even in our struggles, captive to our own situations, and Jesus is standing in our room trying to give us the steps to truly receive what he has for us extending to us his plan as referred in jeremiah the plans to give you hope and a future but you can't see over the mounds and the mounds of mess that completely have taken over your space and jesus is saying if you give it to me i can give you rest but people can't truly be rescued until they understand that they're in need of rescuing See, accepting help though, comes from a place of humility, openness, and trust. See, there is no way We can actively participate in God's plan for redemption if we continue to come to Jesus with a closed posture. See, in order to receive help, you must trust the helper. See, this is the posture, though, that we take when Jesus comes into the room of our hearts. He who created us, he who formed us in his own heart extends to us his will, his own heart, and his own plan, but we often hold ourselves closed, holding on to our own plans and our own agendas, holding on to hurt and anger and heart in broken trust. See, trusting in the Lord is not easy. See, trusting in God oftentimes comes from when we're pushed to a position that requires us to be open to a foreign plan that we cannot see nor understand. See, we must believe that he is able to do what he will, wise to do what is best, and good according to his promise to do what is best for us If we love him and serve him, we must with an entire submission and satisfaction depend upon him to perform all things and to not lean to our own understanding. See, this level of trust, though, this level of reliance on the protection and the provision of God requires a posture of open arms, open hands surrendered. But we often are afraid to trust that which we do not know. There was no way for the rich young ruler to inherit the kingdom of God if he continued to hold on to his stuff, to his mess. So Jesus makes a comment to the rich young ruler before he quotes the commandments. He says, only God is good. I believe Jesus was addressing two things here. One, what the man thought was good or good enough to keep and receive eternal life. And Jesus knew where the conversation was going. But secondly, and I would would even say more importantly, I believe Jesus was addressing that the man did not know him. He says, only God is good. And we know on this side of the book that although he was the son of God, that he was also God in the flesh. So essentially Jesus was like, I see you do not know who I am and what I'm capable of doing. Jesus is like, have you seen my resume? Have you checked my portfolio? And have you read my cover letter or my track record? Do you know who I am or who I'm connected to or what I'm capable of sustaining? If you trust me and get rid of your stuff, sometimes you have to take a second and, and go down memory lane. And think about all the things that God has already done. But just to, just to make it plain, can I, can I talk a little bit about God's resume just real quick? See, I, I heard the Lord say, well, I helped Adam and Eve when they chose sin, and I covered their bodies with animal skin. I helped the children of Israel out of Egypt, and I walked them through a sea on dry land. I led them through the wilderness when they kept erecting gods before me. I helped them get Water out of a rock. I gave them buttery, flaky wafers that fell from heaven to feed them when they had no food. I I helped them win wars that without me they would not have won them. I gave them tablets to help them understand who I am. I helped them gain land and influence, and that's only the beginning of my resume. I I I helped David slay bears, lions, and Goliath. I helped Solomon with his wisdom, and I helped Daniel in the lions den. I was in the furnace with the three Hebrew boys, and I know this is all out of order. I saved generations of people through women like Ruth, Rahab, and Esther, just to name a few. I protected King David when King Saul was trying to kill him, and I, I sent kings when they couldn't rule themselves. I sent judges when they could not judge, and I sent prophets when they could not listen or hear me. Let me make this plain. When you allow Jesus to help you handle the things that you are trying to hold on to, the things that are holding you captive, the things that make it hard for us to move up and forward in him, when we truly surrender to the help that he's extending to us, when we truly seek at the feet of Jesus and give him that which pains us to hold on to. When we let Jesus help us, we can see that he's standing in the furnace. When I'm standing in the furnace, the fire can't even burn me. That when I'm in the middle of the Red Sea, God will part it, and that which was supposed to make me drown, I'll walk through it on dry land. Or if I'm like Peter, that which was supposed to make me drown will become solid and I can walk on it. That when I let Jesus be my helper, even the wilderness can't kill me. That I can slay giants, I can slay lions, tigers, and I can slay bears that even if I'm not supposed to slay the lion that which was sent to devour me God will let it be my pillow and I can rest on him as he mentions in Matthew 11 mixed with a reference to Daniel if I allow him to be my help if I just wait on him and I can see that he'll give me power when I'm weak and exhausted and that he will renew my strength as reference in Isaiah 40 when I know that Jesus is my help I can be bold and look at my situation look at the things that are holding me captive and I can tell them bold if God before me, who can stand against me? I can quote Psalms 121. I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. Can I quote that for a little bit? He, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. But Lord, he who keeps Israel does not slumber, neither does he sleep. The Lord is your keeper, and the Lord is your shade on your right hand. Verse seven. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. When I know that Jesus is my help, I can sing the song when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Verse two is my favorite one. Though Satan should buffet, though trials come, Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, my helpless estate, and has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. When I know that Jesus is my help, even in the face of adversity, I can sing my favorite song, Tis So Sweet, to trust in Jesus. When I know that Jesus is my help, I can let go of the things that have been causing me to drown. My God the things that make it hard to see Jesus, I can surrender my life and my situation to he who has the entire world in his hands. I could go on and on about God's resume. It's so rich and full of goodness and faithfulness when a messed up people were helped by a loving, compassionate God who saw that we could not do it alone. Who saw that we needed help, even so much so that he came down himself, rich young ruler, to tell you about how to receive eternal life. Because just in a few short chapters, he would extend to us the greatest help that anyone could give. That he would die a gruesome death on the cross to save our souls from the death that we deserve because we keep hoarding and not choosing him simply so we could see how important it is for us to surrender to him, surrender to our possessions, surrender our possessions, rather, and our stuff, internal and external, to follow him to eternal life. So the rich young ruler asked what he must do to receive eternal life. I hate to break it to you, but eternal life is not heaven. Eternal life is relationship. To dwell with God for eternity. Jesus says put that stuff down and truly get to know me. Because what you're hoarding, what you're holding on to is making it so hard for you to see who I really am. The stuff you're holding on to is making it so hard for you to see who God really is. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, as it says in Matthew 11.